Stan, Rachel, Satyar, Shaw. Hour number two of Canuck Central. Come to you from the Kintex studio. Canuck Central, hour number two, is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. On this edition of the NHL Needs to Abolish the Salary Cap, Gary Bettman uh, says today, Sat, that the uh, salary cap is not likely to significantly increase at the end of the year. It is going up uh, the uh, previously thought $1 million, uh, but uh, the earlier projections of the season were maybe a little too hopeful, which seems like uh, an annual (laughs) – seems to be like what the NHL annually does. It's just like overshoot their projections early in the season and then start to walk it back. I mean, uh, one thing I will say about Bettman, he can be such a weasel sometimes. And to me, that was such ah. a weasel moment. Like, Because it, it was the NHL itself who came out and talked about, hey, the cap might be going up more. We might be paying it off sooner. Like, You're the ones that talked about it. Now you're acting like, oh, why is everybody asking about this? Like, you brought it up jackass like come on like <laughs> what are we doing here like it's not like you know the media made this up like you guys said this could happen and people are asking about it and now he's like yeah maybe not and all that stuff and then you know through cold water on the playoff expansion it's like you guys are trying to fix a problem that doesn't ex- exist and everything it's just i'm like i have a lot of time for a lot of stuff Batman has done but he has moments he's such a weasel and today was such a weasel moment for me <laughs> Gary Bettman, the weasel. Uh, I, I love it. Um, the thing about Gary Bettman is he's always negotiating, right? Especially when it comes to things that are potentially collectively bargained. He is always negotiating, no matter when he is talking, how he is saying it. Uh, that's probably what happened a little bit today because there has been some talk that they could maybe negotiate through the escrow and, and all of these different things. So that the, the the that we could see a increase in the salary cap later this year because it's not going to be fully paid off by the players, but could they come to some form of an agreement so that you know the league can get back to having the cap increase at least by a couple of percent each and every year? Like we're going back to the summer of 2019 now, Sat, where the cap since then has increased by 2.4 percent. Now I get. COVID and all these different things, but come on. The NHL has introduced a bunch of new ad revenue streams. They've got the digital ad boards. They've got ads on jerseys, ads on helmets. They've implemented new things to generate more money, and their projections are not just back to where they were pre-pandemic, but they are above where they were pre-pandemic so they're generating more revenue as a league and yet the salary cap isn't changing at all i mean come on now and and you have a league right now where the top teams are all right up against it they are doing anything possible to drain blood from a stone to get every little bit of extra value they can on the salary cap but it's difficult And what do we talk about all the time? You can't make trades because of the salary cap, because no teams have space. Any team that wants to make a trade doesn't have any space. The teams that have the space to make trades only want extra draft picks because they don't care to take on your players with their bad contracts because they have no use for them. I mean, it's becoming tiresome. Whereas the NBA, the NFL, 
Major League Baseball, huge contracts going out there. I mean, every league seems to have gotten back to normal, whereas the NHL is like, ah, no, we're, we're, still, we're still in recovery mode. And I think it does the league a disservice at a time where the actual play on the ice is as entertaining as it's ever been with all the goal scoring and the lead changes on a night-to-night basis, but there's still not enough of that player movement. We've been talking about Bo Horvat and his contract, not just for the first hour of today, the whole day today, practically two-thirds of the last three months. Before that, it was JT Miller. Fans of this league love the discussion around player movement, and this league doesn't have enough of that. So that's... uh, That's why I want to see the salary cap go up and the league needs to find more ways to make sure that that starts to happen again sooner rather than later. Yeah. And I'm with you on that. And I think it just kind of, it shows what the league never gives something to the players without taking something back. return. You know, and last week we talked about how maybe the NHL is willing to forgive some of the money to get them back sooner because, hey, it'll, it'll just, it'll allow everybody to, have more money and do more and perhaps that can help generate more revenue because you have more resources to do stuff and maybe you start that a bit earlier and say hey it's worth it but what are you getting back in return for doing that from the players yeah you know and, and i wonder if some of that is horse trading too because and that's why i kind of I, I joke and somewhat serious and you know about you know betman being a weasel because like it's one of those weasel things you, you throw the carrot out a little bit about hey this might be happening now it's like hey pump the brakes do you guys really want this though yeah. If you guys really want it, I mean, we can have a discussion about yeah. something. The World you know, Cup might be happening. Whoop, uh, maybe not. Uh, ex- <laughs> exactly. All, all these things, you know. So that's what I would say because Bettman never gives anybody anything without getting something back in return. There's always a transaction involved, you know. So, so I would, I would, I would say that as something to keep in mind as we see the rest of the season goes, because it's probably clear that there will be some money owed. Not a ton, but it will be some money owed. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they're willing to do something with it. But w- what are you going to give us for it? Uh, it always comes down to that. Um, now, the bigger question is, what does it mean for the Vancouver Canucks? Uh, if the cap is to just go up the $1 million, we've been talking about Horvat quite a bit, uh, the contract negotiation, the rejection of the contract, how the numbers shake out. As you said all along, Sat, the the Canucks do have the money to sign Bo Horvat, to sign Andre Kuzmenko, to keep what they currently have on the roster. It's just you'll be able to keep them and probably not do too much else, if anything else, really. So what value is there in that when this team is clearly not good enough? Anyhow, um, when it comes to the cap, what, what does this mean for the Vancouver Canucks and the potential increase of just $1 million? Um, it, it means you have a little bit less money to play with. And and we always talked about how we, you can't bake in a cap rise. You have to look at next year and, and really look at the money that you have available to, to you. It just means the Canucks aren't getting any extra help with how they're going to be able to make everything fit. You know, like... If you thought there was a world where you could maybe stretch yourself for Bo and pay him eight, and then stretch yourself and pay Kuzmenko six, and then paying those guys fourteen, plus you need another like what? You probably need another six million to fill out the rest of your team. Man, you can't do it. The numbers isn't there. You know, like it's it, you literally can't sign both those players and bring him back and fill out your roster and not lose an Ethan Bear, for instance. 
without right. doing it. Like you, you're losing somebody. And the way Ethan Bear is, the way Ethan Bear has played, hey, it's only two million we're talking about, but it depends on his year. He has arb rights, and all those things come into play during in those negotiations. Right hand D. What if he actually does make more than the two point two he's making uh, on the cap this year? I know the Canucks are paying less because they retain salary, but his qualifying offer is two point two million. So. There isn't a world with with a $1 million cap increase that the Canucks can keep those three players. It's impossible. They can't do it. Well, Unless that, they move get some money out, obviously. Yeah. But, yeah. So that's, uh, you know, I hadn't factored in Ethan Bear really into the conversation. Um, but it's it's very, obviously, it's it's very much a part of the conversation now with the Vancouver Canucks and, and where they're at and being able to keep him as well as, you know, where the, the Bo Horvat number is currently going and how it continues to potentially increase. So, you know, it, it, it is sort of, um, is it dire? I, I don't know about that. But it's uh, a situation where it's obvious something's got to move. And, you know, as much as the management group decided or didn't love the offers that were on the table last year, you can only play that card for so long, you know, the let's wait and see card, uh, the let's, let's hold out and hope that, you know, some things change as the season goes on. If anything, you know, outside of Horvat, you know, it's now more difficult to move a Garland or potentially even better than it was, uh, in the summer. So you're not getting relief there, or if you are, it's going to be a very difficult deal to make and you're probably taking some money back in order to make those moves and the fact that the cap isn't going up necessarily it also means it's not going up for any other teams so there's not going to be a ton of cap space around the league when it comes to the summer we see how quickly it dries up every single year it just the bet that this management group made that they'll be able to make some moves later on or they'll be able to wait and see kick the can down the road and hope that time passing allows them to move players a little bit easier well that may not be the case and the timeline is running out the exception is any player that's getting closer to the end of their contract and probably the two biggest ones on that front are Tyler Myers and Tanner Pearson yeah, and but honestly, like I think those are the easier moves. And once you pay Myers his five million dollars signing bonus, and that's due in September, and maybe there's a way to pay some of that sooner, depending on how you work the deal out. But once that gets done, you can clear that money. But the problem with with the Myers thing is because of the timeline, can you clear that money in time to be compliant? Hmm. And that's the question, right? Yeah. Like if you're if if you're bringing everybody back and you're going over the cap and you're waiting for the Myers trade to happen, number one, then you're gonna, teams are going to leverage you because they know you're up against it. And then they're going to make you give something up to get rid of even something, right? So that, that puts you in a, in a bad position. Unless but, you get a Lou Lamorello like sort of handshake deal handshake, in place. Or something <laughs> along those lines, right? Like maybe that's something you do. And, and maybe, you know, an old school guy like Rutherford can, can, can swing something along those lines. But the timeline on the Myers move is what complicates everything. Yeah. You know, and could, because his his highest asset point is after he gets the five million dollar bonus paid, and it's a one million dollar salary, even if it's a six million dollar cap hit. Because even if you retain a little bit, it make it even more palatable for a team. Like it, it, it's he becomes an asset. You get something tangible back at that point. So 
how do you line that up with Tyler Myers? And I think that's the biggest challenge with him. And then Tanner Pearson, until he comes back and plays and we see what he looks like t- until the end of the season, I don't think there's much you can do with him. Yeah. And finally, on buyouts, I know it's been suggested. That's what ownership might have to look look at. And we'll talk about this next week maybe a bit more and everything. I'm... <clears throat> I'm not sure ownership's going to be forking over a lot of money and a lot of buyouts. Like, I know we talk about OEL. Like, I don't know if that buyout's happening. That's $18, $19 million. You got to pay for a guy not to play for you, right? So, like, I, I think even the buyout stuff, it's great to talk about. I, I'm not sure what the appetite is to, to have a lot of big buyouts. But it's less money than what he would be paid over the entirety of the contract. Yeah, but, but, but Dan, you still have to sign somebody else to fill his role. Yeah. You know, so you're still paying somebody else. So you're paying twenty million, and then you're finding another defenseman. You're probably playing over that period of time, fifty million was yeah. good. You know, so it's like it's not like that money you should save it. You're you're gonna have to reinvest that into the team again. So it's essentially, let's say you, you go and sign a a a five million dollar defenseman with that cap space or with that money for five years. That's twenty five million. That means on that defenseman you spent. Forty-four million to bring that defenseman in, <laughs> right? Like, think of it that way. And and yeah. for an organization that's cared about cash the last couple of years, you know, it's like, is that actually something ownership's going to sign off on? And I think maybe. And I know Bix talked about this. He's, he's made a great point about how well this organization, this front office, has handled the money because they've they've actually done a really good job with the cash. They're spending less cash this year, and the contract with JT doesn't kick in until next year. And if you look at uh, the contracts with no signing bonuses and the Dickinson trade they made and how they allocated the money, they've been very good with money. Actually, done a good job with it this year. But, and maybe you can convince ownership to do something along those lines. But when I put it to you in those terms, how many owners in the league are willing to essentially pay $44 million for a $25 million player? Oh, it's like, you know, less than a handful. Yeah. Right? Like, there's only so many owners that, that have endless pockets. Yeah. Um, it's probably like Toronto, Vegas, um, maybe the Rangers. <laughs> maybe maybe you know that, that's probably that's probably it those are the three uh, that you don't see a ton of teams uh, otherwise and you don't see a ton of buyouts like the one that um that would it, it would cost for for an oliver ekman larson so for sure I, I get the cap ramifications of it and it does open up almost his entire salary for next season but you know the only way that makes a ton of sense is if you feel like, hey, this is a year we can win the Stanley Cup and, and we can do better things with that $7-plus million. That's the only way it makes sense to do it this summer. Yeah, and, and, and I'm not sure they're there unless yeah. or, you know, like Bick's been mentioning too, like you use that money to um, use the cap space to go and acquire a contract, get a first-round pick out of it, and then you monetize that. Um, and those are things that you do potentially. Um, uh, somebody texted and says Garen's owners did that, the Minnesota Wild, they did. But the thing with Minnesota was – they didn't really get a cap saving. They didn't get tons of cap savings. That was really the, the they had like one or two year, one year of it. And then yeah. they're actually like paying for it still. So it was one of those things where they couldn't spend over. And, you know, uh, Tyler, I think makes the point that you can find a defensive making under 3 million, but even if it's, even if let's say for those four, those eight years you're buying out or those, you know, for those four years that is remaining, even if it's a two and a half million dollar player, that's 10 million. That still means you're paying the same exact money you were paying before for another player, and then you're hoping that guy's going to stay in the $2.5 million range for four years. 
And yeah, and then you've got a, a four-year penalty of uh, two plus million for for Oliver Ekman Larson. Uh, should you go down the buyout this summer? So it's you know there's a lot of ramifications. Uh, it it, it I, I think there is some sense to it, uh, but you better have a plan to properly execute what you are going to do with that cap space, as is always the case with uh, with this team. Uh, so one thing I did want to get to. Uh, from practice today, Bruce Boudreau was asked about JT Miller playing through the middle. So uh, JT looked like maybe moving back to center in a previous practice on Sunday. And then uh, today uh, in the lead up to the game against Calgary tomorrow, JT was back on Bo Horvat's wing. Here is what uh, Bruce Boudreau had to say about JT Miller moving back to center. When push comes to shove, JT I um, uh, would like to be in the middle. I'd like to have him in the middle. Um, it's the same as Petey last year. Played 30 games on the wing, but I know we wanted to play in the middle. But we have to do what's best that we think for the team. And right now it would be JT playing where he is. So there is uh, Bruce Boudreau on JT Miller sat. Um, I know yeah. it's a big uh, conversation around all of the <laughs> listeners. JT can't uh. play center. And yet the coach continues to say, no, he's he's a center. It's just circumstance that we have him playing the wing right now yeah well I mean JT Miller has struggled playing down the middle this year no doubt facts only JT Miller last year excelled playing down the middle yep also fact I was waiting for you to say facts only but facts only (laughs) not quite fact but yeah I mean he wasn't a two-way force but he excelled you know and he's a better center than he's shown to be capable of this year is he a long? Is he going to be a center for the entirety of a seven-year contract in Vancouver? No. And when he signed the contract, we talked about this, Dan. We said he's not going to be a center for the, the full seven years. But can he be it for a few of those years for it to be worth it? Or can he give you equivalent value for the contract at the very least? So, and, and that's where I think it's interesting, too, because I, I saw this, the stat, statistical um, models and projections, the athletic, the player cards they put out for uh, Bo Horvat and JT Miller. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about analytically when we look at both these players this year and, and how they performed. And Bo scored more goals, and he's been fantastic, and he's been a net positive because he's outscored his problems. But based on market value, JT Miller this year is at $8.4 million. That's according to the, to the Athletic. Yeah. Bo Horvat this year is at $8.8 million of market value, according to the Athletic. And he's having a heater of all heaters. Mm-hmm. Like he's at his peak. Right now, right? last year Horvat's player card said he was worth just over six million. Yeah. So, as much as J, like analytically, there isn't much separating them. Again, that's the point we've been trying to make this year. As much as you know, JT struggled. Like when you look at the analytics of it all and the overall value of it all, and yes, there's bad body language. Yes, there's a turnover. There's a lot of things that go into it that are tan- intangibles that matter that you can point to and and criticize and, and everything. But just as far as far as like what you're providing on the ice, that's been the value of JT. And JT can and should be a lot better than what he's been. Last year, he played at, what, a $10, $11 million value because he was excelling playing down the middle. He can get back to being better, and I want to see him play down the middle again, and I think we're going to see a better version of it. But I think what Bruce is telling us is exactly what we saw last year. He didn't feel like he had enough help on the wings to go with three lines, and he played Pedersen on his wing mostly because he was the guy that was struggling. This year, JT's been the guy who somewhat struggled down the middle. Doesn't feel like he, he has enough wingers to really carry three lines, so he's putting putting him into his top six. I think this is a lot more 
about the usage of the roster, the way uh, Boudreaux sees it, as opposed to it being a true reflection of JT's inability to play center? It's the thing about not having enough wingers. Um, Connor Garland, which is and Brock screwed Besser. when they went out and paid. <laughs> and I like Mikheyev. You mean yeah. they weren't supposed to have a winger issue this year? No. But that's how poorly Connor Garland and Brock Besser have played. Like they're playing with Sheldon Dries right now, right? Like that's <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. Like you have the wingers, at least on paper, you have the wingers. It just it it hasn't worked. How much of that is on JT, and how much of that is uh, just the poor performance that we saw early in the season. Uh, that's that's probably up for debate. Uh, all right, we're going to bring in Don Taylor, his take on uh, everything going on with the Vancouver Canucks and in the uh, wide world of sports, as we know. It's uh, Don Taylor. Donnie is next on Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. If you missed hour one of the show, uh, then you uh, can go back and listen to it on podcast. We talked extensively about Bo Horvat, the statement he made today about his contract situation, and where exactly was the contract offer in terms of total money for Bo Horvat? It has been rejected. We know that. And we talked extensively about the range of where that number was from the Canucks. Uh, Sat gave his thoughts on it, and also Irfan Gaffar gave his report on it as well. You can check that out on podcast. Uh, we're going to bring in Don Taylor to the conversation. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah, but uh, it's <laughs> it's no doubt this has dominated the conversation for the last couple of days, Sat, and I just... Uh, <sighs> I don't know when it's uh, when it's really going to stop until there is some form of a resolution on the Bo Horvat situation. Yeah, I mean the, that's that's the thing, right? And I think after today, I mean famous last words. I think after today, it, it will die down a little bit because I think we're getting into Christmas. I'm not expecting a trade to go down here uh, anytime soon. Um, so I think it'll get kind of quiet a little bit, and, and we'll see where things are at when we head into the new year. But until he signs a contract or gets traded, it's the biggest question. It's it's like last year with JT Miller because it became all about JT Miller. What do you end up doing? And and a lot of it was also the front office came out and said, yeah, well, we're exploring. We'll see what we do. Like they never said we're not doing anything. So that was always the big question. Um, we had a lot of text messages uh, come in on Bo Horvat. And, you know, they sort of ranged on both sides uh, of the conversation first, Uh, you know, whether or not you prefer Bo and and you like Bo over JT Miller, uh, whether or not you think uh, 50 plus million dollars is is too much money for Bo or just get it done. He's uh, finding his way in his career. You know, we saw sort of all ranges 
of it. Um, what I can't really get over, Sat. So the offer in the summer was similar to the Ryan Nugent Hopkins offer, right? $43 million total, or right. ju- just about. And I don't think that was an unreasonable offer given Bo Horvat's track record. You can well, say think, it's on the low end, but it's not an unreasonable offer in my eyes. So I think I think the way you have to look at it is if you're basing it off of his previous track record leading up to it, then I think there I think you could say it's a fair it's a fair opening salvo. Right? Yeah. Like it's a fair opening salvo. It's never gonna get accepted, but hey, here's a guy that we think is comparable to you, and here's a guy that we think, you know, you should be signing close to. And you know, people make the point that Ryan Nugent Hopkins doesn't score the same amount of goals. He also had a 69-point season at one point. He had a 28-goal season. Bo Horvat did, of course, hit 30 goals the one year, but we're talking about two or three goal difference. So heading into the season, I think that was a fair discussion point. I mean, this year, we talk about Bo Horvat having a great year, and he has. He has 28 points in 29 games. Ryan Nugent Hopkins has 33 points in 29 games. And yeah, you know he he plays with good players and been on the power play and everything, but still he is producing at a high level, and he signed that contract. Now, hey, he probably took a little bit less, and you shouldn't expect Bo to take that contract. But I don't think it, I don't think the Canucks expected Bo to take that as a slap to the face the way they did. Yeah, that's what Frank was mentioning too with you guys yesterday that that opening offer seemed like a bit of a slap to the face. Yeah, and 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 that's. Um... <laughs> that's where negotiations can get tough because uh, feelings tend to get hurt in negotiations because you have to sometimes drive a hard bargain and your opening offer isn't necessarily where you're willing to end up, but the opening offer can sometimes hurt where negotiations go from there. And I think that is something that definitely played out with Bo, but you know, even a player like, and and maybe it is, it for sure is a um, harsh comp for for Bo Horvat, or at least a little bit harsh comp for Bo Horvat. But Vincent Trocheck and the contract he signed. Now the AAV was five six two five, just under forty million total on a seven year deal with the New York Rangers in free agency last year. Plays center. Has had a 70-plus point season, but generally for his career has not been that kind of a player. And generally for his career has struggled to play a ton of games. You know, so so there's two very distinct differences between him and Bo Horvat with that being said. Yeah, and also he's 29. So, I mean, you talk about Vinny Trocek a year older. Yeah. Or, I mean, 29 years old uh, when that contract kicked in this upcoming season, and it's a seven-year deal. And I just think I'm not I'm not the biggest Vinny Trocek fan, um, but I think the Vinny Trocek one was it, – it's it's far below the valuation. It, you know, like it's it, – As I said, it's, it's harsh on Bo Horvat, but the point production's not too dissimilar. No, it has been at times. It, it, it can be. It, I just – 
I just don't see. I, I think what's also happening here to keep in mind, and as much as you know, I I don't think Bo is worth the eight and a half times eight, like the Rupe Hins contract, sixty seven, sixty four million. Like I don't think that's the player he is, and I don't think you know any team should be paying that him that type of money. But what those deals have done is changed and has reset the market to some extent. Like even the Nazem Kadri deal, the seven times seven deal. You know, what I mean, this guy was thirty two when he signed that contract. Yeah, you know, and. I think those deals have reset the market a bit that it's not unfair to offer those deals to Boa in terms of what's been paid before, but it's almost like a different market we're talking about. It's like, you know, and I can see why the agent and the player side is like, sure, you guys are talking about these numbers and, and maybe that made sense six months ago or a year ago, but we live in a different world today. Yeah. And, and the Nugent Hopkins contract was signed after the, the, the North division season. So, the NHL landscape was in a very different spot in that moment. But also it was very clear Ryan Nugent Hopkins didn't want to go anywhere else. So he found a way to make it work. And maybe that helps when you have uh, you know Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on your roster and you maybe feel you have a pretty good chance of winning while you're on that team. So uh, if I'm going to have to be the guy that makes a, takes a little bit of a haircut to, to make things work, then, then I'm going to be that guy. He made that decision. That's on him. It shouldn't maybe negative, negatively impact other players around the league. But, you know, this, this Horvat conversation, it's, it's, it kind of becomes subjective, Sat, because there are some that feel Bo is maybe a low-end number one center in the league and others who don't think he's maybe a, a high-end number two or somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. And... I'm I'm more on the latter side of that conversation. I like the goal scoring he's brought. You think of how Bo has increased his goal scoring in a league where it is the most difficult thing to do, although it's seemingly becoming easier for a lot of players. Um, you know that that's very valuable, and he is much more of a threat today than he had been in prior years of his Canucks career. It's just. The number is getting to a point that's pretty rich in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I completely agree with not wanting to pay it. Like, I'm not, I'm not giving Bull Horvat, you know, the the seven times eight. Like, I'm not doing that. That's not a contract that I would want to hand out. I've t- I've talked about how they need to make a trade and and make the trade, but I think for Bo though, like, there's a world that exists now for him where he's getting that money somewhere. And because there are so few centers available, and this is what we talked about heading into the contract negotiations with JT, and one of the points I made so often last year was, hey, don't assume the Bo Horvat contract is going to be easy. Centers get paid, and he's a little bit younger, and he has a good reputation. Like, someone's going to throw some money at Bo. Like, I don't think it's going to be the 9 times 7 deal, ultimately, or something along those lines, which is just, you know, a lot of money here. But it wouldn't shock me that somebody gives him 8 times 7. There's so many center-starved teams out there. Kevin Hayes got a massive contract. We saw guys like Scott Gomez and Chris Drury get huge contracts at one point. And I know it was a while ago, but those things happen for teams when they need centers and there aren't that many available on the market. It doesn't make sense for Vancouver to do it, in my opinion, but there, there could be a team out there that looks at it and says, we just need this guy. So um, looks like we're having tr- trouble connecting with uh, with Don Taylor. Um so maybe we'll uh, get his take either tomorrow or later on this week. It's um, 
one thing that happened at practice uh, today, and I, I, this is the other thing I wanted to to get in on with uh, with Bruce Boudreaux, and it's it's on uh, Jack Studnika, who at practice today was playing on the top line as a right winger with JT Miller and Bo Horvat. We know you know Miller and Horvat as much as they've stuck together in recent games and recent weeks. The revolving door as their winger has never really stopped as Bruce Boudreaux is constantly looking for something he thinks fits better on that line. And today it was Jack Studnika getting that chance. Here's Bruce Boudreaux on putting Studnika in that spot. No, he just can skate, you know. seems every game he gets a chance to score. So, I mean, uh, I think it's a little bit of a confidence thing. But, I mean, um, you know, I mean, we think he could be play higher up in the lineup than he than he would be. He he's another potential center, but we think he's better on the wing at this point of his career. He hasn't played enough NHL games, I think, this year at center to 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 really put him there and hope he succeeds at it. So there is Bruce Boudreau. This is uh, sort of a well, it's it's got a couple of different angles. This conversation, you know, what did. Um, Patrick Alvine hope he was acquiring when they got Jack Studnika. Was it a center who can a right shot player that he thinks can play center in a bottom six type of role? Or is it the winger that Bruce Boudreaux has identified him as? Uh, also, you know, do we see some offensive potential in Studnika that it makes sense to put him in this spot with Bo Horvat and JT Miller instead of a player like, uh, oh, I don't know, Brock Besser? Uh, yeah, I mean, the way Brock is playing, I'm, I'm very unimpressed. And I've always had so much time for Brock, and, and I do, and I've defended his game a lot. And I think there's a better player there than what he's shown this season. But, like, I'm, you know, you're getting a chance with PD, not doing much, right? Yep. Like, it's just, it just hasn't been there. And, and it's, been it's been really tough. difficult for Brock this year. It has been. It has been very difficult. Like, he just has to be better. Like, I, I'm, I'm not at a stage now to be like, yeah, just give him opportunities. It's like... Yeah, stay with with PD or whatever, but I, I don't care about throwing in with Miller and and Horvat. Like I don't I don't think he's played well enough for it. And I think absolutely it makes sense to try Jack Studnika there. Heck, I'd, I'd much rather see that than seeing Niels Hoglander, you know, fail to convert on his his boatload of chances again. You know, like Studnika. The thing I'm impressed by with him is the tools. And hey, there are a lot of guys who are toolsy in the NHL that can't put it together and aren't going to do it. And we've seen players like that in this market before. And there's been a lot of debate over those players in this market in the past. But Studnika was a small bet that you're talking about coming in. And I think if you're looking for a way for him to have success with good players and maybe be able to ride some coattails a bit, why not see if he can do it with those guys? He's got a good size. He skates well. He's got good hands, decent release. Like, there's something tangible there for him. And you saw with the rushes, if they can get him in space and in transition, maybe he can take advantage of some of the things that he can do. And I think a player like him, I think what he really needs is confidence. Getting going, having some confidence. And that's how those types of players in a change of scenery, Dan, become the best versions of themselves. They get opportunity. They get confidence in that opportunity. Next thing you know, it happens for them. And, hey, is it Jack Studnika time yet? He gets the opportunity. But this is what the acquisition was hoping to try, right? That he plays well enough that you can try him in the top six and to see if he can give you something. And at least we get to see that on Wednesday. So 10 points in 49 career NHL games. Not 
totally promising, has uh, three points, two goals in his 11 games so far with the Vancouver Canucks. A little bit of an injury in there as well. Playing mostly bottom six minutes, as we know, not getting a ton of time. So not going to draw too much from that. But ultimately, you know, if, if you're looking for where does Jack Studnicka's potential or where do you see Jack potential in Jack Studnicka? Well, some of the things you mentioned in watching him and seeing the tape, but also 49 points uh, in 60 games in his first AHL season as a 20-year-old. Those are really impressive numbers and generally ones that translate to a player being able to fill in at the NHL level and be able to score at the NHL level. 49 points in 60 games is not bad. His most recent year, last year, uh, in the AHL, he had 35 points in 41 games at the AHL level. So being a close-to-point-a-game guy in the AHL is not too shabby, especially for a younger player, not a guy like... uh, you know, uh, a, a Sheldon Dries type who's, you know, into his later 20s and at this stage of his career doesn't really have a ton of upside. But, like, there's a player that clearly has some offense to his game. We've seen him make some skill plays here and there. And at some point, when you are kind of going through the gauntlet of using every single player on your roster in one of these spots. Yeah, Jack Studnicka, you land on 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 the door of, all right, you're next up. Give it your best shot and see what happens. So uh, I'm kind of interested to see how that works out tomorrow. As for Nils Hoaglander, Sat, um, <laughs> I, I, we, this is like uh, it's kind of Groundhog Day with Nils Hoaglander. We keep having this conversation, but where, where do we go from here with Hoaglander? I mean, he's he's received the big chance now, and now he's bumped back down the lineup. Probably not going to be in the lineup tomorrow night. Um, it's, I, I guess I just wonder what, what we're getting out of Nils Hoaglander, who hasn't shown much progression in his game this year. Um, I think with Nils, I don't think there's a trade out there that makes sense. Right. Unless you're talking about, hey, here's a prospect, you know, Alvin liked him when he was in Pittsburgh that he sees is similar and it's like, hey, change of scenery type. I don't think Niels has played well enough to have value and any any real value in trade for you to get something tangible in return. I think your best bet with him is just continue working with him right now. Yeah. You know, like I think if you're looking at cashing on him, it probably would have had to happen after this, this past season. And it was still a bit of a low. He struggled a bit, but he had a good enough rookie season that you could have, you know, maybe there was something there. But even so, you're not talking about even getting a second round pick in return. I mean, because pedigree matters. He's a guy who hasn't played at a super high level yet. And it's not like he would have been a first round pick value. I, I even struggle to think you get a second round equivalent value back in return for it. Like usually you see a guy get get a pick below his draft slot, you know, at the high end, you know, when unless you're Niels Lundqvist, you remember Sven Berchi, he was a first round pick and he showed some promise and all that and you know, yeah, it obviously was uncomfortable. The Canucks maybe overpaid a bit, but it was a second round pick for it. So I don't think the pick value is there. I think your best bet with him is just coming back with him next year and see if he can work on a shot. See you'll probably have a new coach in here that maybe he fits a role better. I don't know if you have anything else outside of a swap for another prospect kind of you know spinning his wheels we're just giving it another year could you see a situation where they bring up pod colson from the ahl and send hoaglander down for a few games 
Oh yeah, I can see that. Um, the one thing I wonder though about is with how the Canucks are currently playing, how much of keeping uh, put Coles in in uh, the AHL is to keep him away from this mess. Yeah. Because look at all the bad habits all these Canucks players have built up over the years being here. Yeah. But there, there's a reason this team plays with a lot of bad habits. Like they've they've had a lot of players with bad habits. They haven't had a lot of success. The environment hasn't been great. We talk about guys not developing as well here as they should. Besser, good rookie season, and since then, it hasn't been the same. Patterson, of course, he's shown excellence, and Horvat's obviously shown progression throughout his career being in Vancouver. But a lot of the other guys, a lot of struggles at times. You see Niels Hognight and what he's gone through. Did he get rushed through? Like maybe put Colson as the guy you're looking at and saying it's not too late for us to set the standard with him. And like it's those other guys were handed things and they had to. Uh, they don't know what it's like to earn things and they're taking everything for granted and their bad habits don't seem too bad for them. We can't let the same thing happen to a guy like Put Colson. Like maybe that's part of the equation. And if mm-hmm. that's the equation, then I, I think you keep him away from here as long as possible. But it certainly is a possibility. Uh, two goals in six games uh, so far for Pods down uh, in. The AHL. Uh, all right, one fun thing I, I, I wanted to get to before we close out the show today. Did you see that the uh, the NBA always always first to the fun stuff? The NBA they announced that they are uh, well, they're changing the names of their awards now. Yeah, it's sort of a trivial thing, but in, in the end, like this is you know the, the fun stuff for the fans, right? So yeah. the MVP is uh, now being uh, the Michael Jordan Trophy which uh, not not very surprising. Jerry West is the clutch player of the year. Rookie of the year will go uh, to is now named the Wilt Chamberlain trophy. Uh, and then, you know, you can go find uh, all of the different uh, names that they've announced for their different awards. Uh, should the NHL do this? And how many awards are named the Wayne Gretzky trophy? If, if the NHL does go down this path. You already have uh, the Mark Messier Leadership Award. You yes. have the, the Rocket Richard Goal Scoring Award. The Art Ross would have to change to Gretzky. Yeah. Or like, there was a hard trophy change to Gretzky. Ooh. Like to me, to me, this this is what I would do because it falls. In the line Art with Ross my... has got to be Gretzky. Sorry. Art Ross is Gretzky. The heart is Mario Lemieux. Ooh. Okay. What about Gordie Lemieux? Howe? The Lemieux. I'm a Mario guy. Okay. I've always been a Mario guy. Like, okay, Gretzky is the greatest hockey player of all time. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, look at the records. They speak for themselves. The most talented player of all time is Mario Lemieux. Hmm. Okay. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Man, I love Mario, too. It's 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 hard not to. <laughs> I'm like Mario's I, my guy. I'm trying to buy myself time to, like, argue with you a little bit, but I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. Like, Mario's too good. It's too good. The guy like just disappears from hockey, you know, <laughs> deals with cancer, whatever. And he comes back. He's just like, yeah, casually the, the greatest player again in the league. <laughs> Here's 160 points in 60 games. <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm still the best. Sorry, dude. Okay, so like he, he was he was old, you know, probably a little out of shape, yeah. um, and you know, coming out of that lockout year, remember? Yeah. He still put up a point per game. He played 20 games and still had like <laughs> almost 20 points just on the power play. He couldn't skate. He was a he was a liability. He couldn't do anything, yeah. but he could still score on the power play. It's like who does that? The yeah. guy had 22 points in 26 games, and he couldn't move. He couldn't skate. Mm-hmm. It's it's wild. <laughs> 
Uh, Vesna, just so he can, just so he can show. The only reason he did that was just so he can kind of show Sidney Crosby the way a bit about like how to be professional. Yeah. And he's like, "All I got is this twenty. I got a quarter of a season in me. That's all I got." <laughs> I'm coming back. Uh, I think his first game back was against the Leafs, and he just absolutely torched them. It was hilarious. Oh, so funny. Um, Vesna Trophy. Uh, now, like, there's a few options. I think that the top three options are Hashik, Wah, or Brodeur. Where Hasek. do you go? Hashik. Greatest Hasek. goalie of all time. He is, yes. Yeah. You get it with the greatest greatest of all time, you know? Did Wah do, like, more for the position, though? Um. Yeah, the butterfly, yeah. sure. I mean, you can certainly make that point. Hashik's still the best. Okay. Yeah, I love Patrick. Like Pat, Patrick Roy is my favorite goalie of all time. Like I was a huge like I was, Patrick he was so used fun to, like, to watch. He was a showman, oh, yeah. right? He was. And and I was such a stand for him. Like I'd stand for him all the time. Yeah. But as I got older and I you start you know, you go back and you watch Hashik and I'd be like, Man, that guy was insane. <laughs> <laughs> it was nuts. Uh Norris would go to uh Bobby Orr or Nick Lidstrom. Ooh. <sighs> Gotta be Orr. It's 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 or I really want to give it to Nick Lidstrom, but it's or. Yeah, Lidstrom, man, those two thousands when he just dominated the Norris Trophy award, it was uh, something else. Guy was just ridiculous. Uh, all right, we'll end the show on that note. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, back tomorrow. Canucks and Calgary Flames will get you ready for that. Kevin Woodley will be on the show. We'll go through through some of the goalie conversations around the league and uh, maybe even his take on Bo Horvat. Because why not? We may as well rename the show to Horvat Central, as we talked about off the top. For Elon and Josh, my co-host Sat, I'm Dan Richo. You've been listening to Canuck Central.